Good. It feels like you came yesterday, you know. That's how we feel. Huh? I'm not sure how you feel. We st- no? Okay. It feels very long. Okay. It's just paradoxical, yeah? Now, in today's lecture, we shall try to wrap up with the acid-base disorders. There might be material that you have seen in the previous lecture that is, again, coming up. So, so that's a good thing, right? So, so you're seeing it once again, making sure you understand the different acid-base disorders. Make sure you do the practice questions. In the fo- it's all in the folder for this week. Yeah? And of course, you have a small group case tomorrow. And of course, thank you for reminding to print out the worksheet. It's important that we have a worksheet because we need some written responses and not every evaluation be as a multiple choice question. Yeah? So that's, that's, that's why we need to have something other than the, you know, the, the MCQ format so that we have different kinds of evaluation for you all during your medical school training. Okay? Now at this present time, Acid-based homeostasis, you have reviewed that the, in, the buffer systems are the first line of defense, and of course, of all of these, bicarbonate buffer system stands the first. And it's whenever you look at acid-base disorders, you're looking at the different parameters of the bicarbonate buffer system to analyze what is the disorder, or what is the type of the disorder. The second line of defense that you have learned is the respiratory system, and that is mainly involved in regulating the PCO2, whereas the kidney, the job of the kidney is to maintain or regulate the levels of serum bicarbonate. Yeah? So this is what you have already studied. So buffers, remember, always never forget about bicarbonate. We talked about the bicarbonate buffer a few weeks ago, and you have been talking about it in many different places, in many different situations. Now at this time, remember the respiratory system can respond to pH changes by altering the changes in the pH. And this is main, what I'm mainly talking about here is it can respond very quickly. So compensation by the respiratory system is quite quick. Yeah? It's, it's quite fast. So when there is metabolic acidosis or when the pH falls, what happens is it stimulates the respiratory center and there is an increase in the rate and depth of respiration. So you have already studied that. Similarly, in conditions of alkalosis, what happens is the respiratory center is inhibited and this is going to increase the PCO2. There is a decrease in the ventilatory rate or decreased drive for respiration. So these are the main compensatory mechanisms that are important for metabolic disorders, be it acidosis or alkalosis. Yeah? Most of the time when you see patients in the, clinical, um, in the clinic with a metabolic disturbance, remember the respiratory compensation has already set in because it's so very quick. It's very rare to find normal PCO2 in a patient with metabolic acidosis or metabolic alkalosis. So don't pick out that choice. So PCO2 being normal is not very commonly found in clinical practice because the respiratory system compensates so very quickly. The renal system, on the other hand, the response is very sturdy, but it takes time, typically three to five days after the initial acid-base disturbance. So any time the disorder is present for more than three to five days, what happens is the renal system compensation will kick in, and there is usually changes in the excretion or the secretion of protons and the excretion of bicarbonate and ammonium. In other words, change in the urinary 
pH. And we have learnt about the two important buffer systems, the phosphate buffer system versus the ammonium buffer system. And both excretion of both of these will be increased in conditions of acidosis. Yeah? So that is about the renal system and how it compensates. So the renal system, what happens is in conditions of acidosis, there's going to be complete reabsorption of bicarbonate, which normally takes place, secretion of more protons, and as a result, increased excretion of acid phosphate, also called as titrable acidity, and increased ammonium excretion in the urine. As a result of all of this, what happens is the urine pH becomes more acidic. In conditions of alkalosis, what happens is bicarbonate that is filtered is not going to be reabsorbed. In other words, the carbonic anhydrase in the renal tubule is inhibited. As a result, bicarbonate reabsorption is not taking place as effectively and bicarbonate will be lost in the urine. The urinary pH is alkaline or there is an increase in the urinary pH. Yeah? So that is about compensation or how does the kidney help in conditions or, or to maintain the acid-base balance. So when you want to look at the acid-base status of an individual, remember to look at all three components, just don't look at one and make your diagnosis. You need to look at all three components. Sometimes the pH may be within the normal range. Always check with the PCO2 and bicarbonate. See whether the compensation is almost complete to bring the pH within the normal limits. Yeah? So always make it a point to look at all three parameters and just don't look at one and give your diagnosis. So you've classified the acid-base disorders. Now remember, the plasma pH of 7.4 is considered as the mark, and anything less than 7.4 would be acidosis, and anything more than 7.4 would be alkalosis. Yeah? So this 7.36, or you can keep it as 7.4. Yeah? Respiratory acid-base disorders, there is a problem with the respiratory system, and as a result, there is a primary change in the PCO2 either an increase in the PCO2 or a fall in the PCO2. Metabolic disturbance, on the other hand, is a wider umbrella. It can be any metabolic disturbance or it can be a defect in the kidney. So it can be a problem with the kidneys or any metabolic disorder. So, and what is important and how is it different from respiratory acid base disturbance is that Metabolic acid-based disorders, the primary change is in the bicarbonate levels. So the bicarbonate levels are either high or very low. Yeah? And that is what we shall be explaining today and what are the compensatory mechanisms. So based on the arterial pH, you can classify as acidosis or alkalosis. The next thing you look at is the PCO2. Now if the pH is low and the PCO2 is high, that is they move in opposite directions, most likely it is a respiratory acidosis. Yeah? PCO2 is high and pH is low. Now if the pH is low and the bicarbonate is low, then most likely it is a metabolic disturbance. Yeah? So that is how you can classify the acid-base disorders. Alkalosis on the other hand, ha these, the, the uh, arterial pH is elevated and typically respiratory alkalosis has low PCO2 so the primary change is the PCO2 is low in other words there is hyperventilation or the serum bicarbonate so if the serum bicarbonate is high and the pH is elevated that means if they are moving in the same direction that is a metabolic disturbance or metabolic alkalosis yeah? so that is how we classify 
Remember, respiratory disturbances, be it acidosis or alkalosis, the, the main system that helps or compensates is the kidney. In respiratory acidosis, the kidney compensates by increasing the serum bicarbonate. Yeah? And typically, it takes about three to five days. Whereas in respiratory alkalosis, the kidney will compensate by losing bicarbonate and with time, the bicarbonate levels fall. In other words, what I want you all to remember, one of the most important rules of acid-base disturbance or acid-base disorder is when the primary change is a decrease in the BCO2, remember the compensation will always be in the same direction. So that is the rule that you have to constantly remember. Remember they're always moving in the same direction so that the ratio of 20 is to 1 is brought towards normal. So you're trying to normalize the ratio. Metabolic acidosis, on the other hand, the first thing that compensates or helps is the respiratory system. Metabolic acidosis is compensated by hyperventilation and a fall in the PCO2, and the pH will try to come back towards normal. Now, metabolic acidosis, there's something more special about it, because if the kidney is normal, the kidney can also compensate, typically after three to five days. So, and the kidney will compensate can also compensate if the kidney is functioning well. If the kidney is not functioning well, respiratory system is the only compensation and the kidney cannot help in this situation. Metabolic alkalosis, also the same idea. Now, the respiratory system in this, in this patient, what happens is because of the increased pH, there is um, inhibition of the respiratory center and the PCO2 is elevated. Again, the kidney will compensate if the kidney is normal and, more importantly, if the blood volume or the fluid volume is normal. If the fluid volume is not normal, then there is going to be a change, and we are going to talk about that. Okay? So this is the general idea for acid-base disorders and the, the algorithm for identifying whether it's acidosis versus alkalosis. The next part of the lecture, we shall try to identify what is the basic disturbance and see what happens during compensation. Now, this is a man with COPD, and then he had a respiratory infection, which has a one-day history of respiratory infection. The ABG analysis on admission, pH is 7.25. It is lower than 7.4, so that tells you that is acidosis. You want to identify whether it's respiratory or metabolic. If it was metabolic acidosis, the bicarbonate would be low, whereas here the bicarbonate is almost normal. So what is elevated is PCO2. So PCO2 is increased, pH is low. So the pH is low because PCO2, remember, whenever you think about carbon dioxide, think of carbon dioxide as an acid because carbon dioxide, when it dissolves in water, with the help of carbonic anhydrase, is going to form um, carbonic acid, which then gives off a proton. In other words, this is a typical acid. So accumulation of carbon dioxide. In other words, there is a disturbance which prevents carbon dioxide from being lost from the lungs. And as a result, carbon dioxide is contributing protons into the blood. In other words, the respiratory system is the culprit here. So this is a classical example of respiratory acidosis. We say that this is acute respiratory acidosis because the bicarbonate is almost within normal limits. The bicarbonate is not moving in this. It's slightly elevated, but not to a great extent. That means the kidney has not yet kicked in. The answer to why it has not yet kicked in is because it's just a one-day history of 
the lung infection. So it needs to be more prolonged for the kidney to respond or to help. So that is what I just described. So typically the respiratory acidosis, there is decreased rate of respiration or decreased lung function when the lung parenchyma is destroyed like fibrosis of the lung or pneumonia or decreased air, air entry into the lungs, which could be because of a foreign body in the trachea. So all of these could be causes of respiratory acidosis. Now if you try to plot it in the Davenport diagram, this is where the blue dot indicates acute respiratory acidosis. Now if the patient is not treated, or if he comes to you after a few days and says that I have an infection for a few days, or if, if you have given treatment and there is no response to the treatment. It may be an antibiotic resistant kind of, of infection. Then what happens is the kidney will respond and it will try to bring the pH towards normal. Now how it tries to be, bring the pH towards normal is if you try to think about the Henderson-Hesselbach equation, the bicarbonate levels will increase. How does the kidney increase the serum bicarbonate levels? It reabsorbs more bicarbonate, it secretes more protons in the urine, and when it secretes more protons in the urine, there is more excretion or more loss of phosphate and ammonium ions in the urine. Okay? So that is the compensatory response by the kidney. And with time, what happens is you will see that the pH is trying to come back towards normal, and that's because of an increase in the serum bicarbonate. Okay? So try to compare the two slides, you will, the two numbers, you will find that the pH has come back closer towards normal. The PCO2 has not changed because you have not treated the primary cause. The lung is still damaged. It's still not able to exchange or lose carbon dioxide. So there is still carbon dioxide retention. Who is helping now to bring the ratio towards normal is an increase in the bicarbonate, and that is by the kidneys. So when, when you see this increase in the bicarbonate, so note that it's a marked increase in the bicarbonate. Remember, it's the kidney who is helping in this situation. And you should be able to s explain to your friends how does the serum bicarbonate increase. And that is mainly by secreting protons into the urine. So when you secrete protons into the urine, there is more excretion of acid phosphate and more ammonium ion loss in the urine or more ammonium chloride in the urine. Okay, so... All of that has been explained here. So if you like to look at the Henderson-Hesselbach equation, what happens in acute respiratory acidosis is there is a sudden increase in the PCO2. As a result, there is a fall in the pH. Now in the chronic state or when the, when the um, defect persists for a longer amount of time, what happens is the, there is normalization of the pH. It comes somewhat towards normal and that is by increasing the bicarbonate. So Note that the compensatory response is in the same direction. If they are not in the same direction, you're thinking about a mixed acid-base disturbance, yeah, if they're not in the same direction. So that is about the first disorder. Some causes of respiratory acidosis, since you've done the anatomy, so you can think about it in terms of anatomy. It could be a disease of the lung parenchyma, COPD, respiratory distress syndrome, or fibrosis of the lung or some chest muscle wall disease, or damage to the spinal cord, or damage to the phrenic nerve, or it could be more central, where it can be a drug which inhibits the respiratory center. And as a result, there is a decrease in the rate of respiration. 
or it could be airway obstruction like foreign body in the trachea. So all of these could be causes of respiratory acidosis. Now the next patient in, or the next kind of disorder is respiratory alkalosis. Now this is a student who is camping at a very high altitude and you observe that she is hyperventilating. Now why is she hyperventilating? The hypoxia at the high altitude is stimulating the respiratory center and that is causing hyperventilation and because of the hyperventilation there is increased washout of carbon dioxide. So there is increased excessive washout of carbon dioxide that results in a, in a drastic reduction in the PCO2. So the PCO2 falls remarkably. Now I'd like to you all to change that number. I think it's written as 19. Make it make it a little higher. I don't want you all to get confused between acute versus chronic. Okay. I only realized today when I was I was reviewing for the lecture. So make it make it 21. So somewhat in the normal limits. The bicarbonate is still within normal limits because it's just the second day of her stay. The pH has increased in other words this is alkalosis and who's the culprit is the hyperventilation or the respiratory system yeah now this is a, a condition of acute respiratory alkalosis again remember carbon dioxide is an acid when there is less of acid there is an increase in the ph or the blood is alkalotic so if you think about it in terms of the davenport diagram this is where she is on the second day but eventually, if she continues her stay at the high altitude, what happens is the hyperventilation will still persist, but the kidney will now start kicking in. The kidney will try to reduce the serum bicarbonate because remember, it has to move in the same direction. So how does the kidney reduce the serum bicarbonate? Is It excretes or secretes more bicarbonate in the urine. So there is excretion of bicarbonate in the urine. The urine pH becomes, so the urine pH becomes alkaline. Now, after seven days, you do a blood gas analysis, try to compare it to the previous value. Note that the pH is somewhat coming towards normal. It is trying to return towards normal, and that's because the, the bicarbonate is now compensating. In other words, the, the kidney, the renal system, is trying to help to bring the ratio towards normal. Yeah? So remember the ratio. You know the number? What number it has to be? 20 is to 1, that number is super important. So it's trying to bring the ratio towards normal. It reduces the serum bicarbonate, and that is by secreting or by excreting bicarbonate in the urine. So there is less secretion of protons. Carbonic anhydrase is inhibited. So carbonic anhydrase is not as active. And the urine pH is higher than normal. Now if you think about the Henderson-Hesselbach equation, the primary change was a fall in the PCO2 and this fall in the PCO2 will result in an increase in the pH. Now after a few days, remember the kidney needs some time to compensate, to help. What happens is there is excretion of more bicarbonate in the urine. The urine pH increases and the serum bicarbonate falls. So that is the compensatory mechanism by the kidney. And what, what you're trying to do during the compensated phase or during the chronic phase is you're trying to bring the pH towards normal by bringing the ratio closer to 20 is to 1. Okay. The different causes of hyperventilation could be anxiety or hysteria or even high 
uh, fever. Hypoxia, as we just explained. Now, also, I would like to y'all to go back and go back to the hemoglobin lecture. What hap What are the different changes in the oxygen dissociation curve that happens at this point? In when she is adapted to the high altitude, there is there is more unloading of oxygen, and that's because of increase in two three BPG. Yeah. So just go back and and review that when. So just try to make the connection with the hemoglobin uh, lecture. One of the most important causes of respiratory alkalosis in clinical practice would be in the ICU when there is overzealous mecha mechanical ventilation. So when when you overventilate the patient. Yeah? So that is one of the most important causes, one of the most frequent causes of respiratory alkalosis in, clinic, um, in the ICO. Now metabolic acidosis, I think this patient you've seen many times. Yeah? So metabolic acidosis, so this is a 26 year old brought in an unconscious state and a known type 1 diabetic on insulin. Yeah? Arterial blood gas analysis, so there is acidosis, pH is 7.1. Now, if it was respiratory acidosis, the PCO2 would be very high. So whereas here, the PCO2 is low, so this is not a respiratory disturbance. It's not respiratory acidosis. So when you look at the bicarbonate, you notice that the bicarbonate is very low. Now, the bicarbonate here is very low, and that is the primary change. Why is the bicarbonate so low? That is explained by the presence of ketone bodies in the urine. Now, if you look at the structure of ketone bodies, in ketone bodies, ketone bodies are considered as weak acids because they give off protons into the medium. So what's happened is this patient has not taken insulin or there is something. So there is, she has avoided insulin or there has been an in, um, infection and as a result the insulin is not working and what happens is there is too much production of ketone bodies so there is too much addition of protons into the system now when you add protons into the ECF because of ketone excessive ketogenesis what happens is these protons are buffered by the main um, buffer and that is bicarbonate in other words bicarbonate levels fall because they are taking up the protons that are formed by ketone bodies yeah, so ketone bodies give off protons which will be buffered or taken up by the bicarbonate. As a result, bicarbonate is going to be lost and that results in very, very low levels of bicarbonate in the blood. Now also, you observe that she is hyperventilating. That's because the acidosis, the fall in the bicarbonate is going to stimulate the respiratory center and there is increase in the rate and depth of respiration and that in this patient is typically described as small breathing. Okay? Now besides that, if you try to do what's called as the anion gap, you will find that there is an increase in the anion gap. Now anion gap is mainly derived by adding all the positively charged ions and taking away the negatively charged ions. Now ketone bodies, remember, are negatively charged. So what happens is these are unmeasured anions that you normally cannot measure in the clinical lab. And what happens is you find there is an increase in the anion gap. So diabetic ketoacidosis is a classical example of increased anion gap acidosis. Okay, So that is about the acidosis or the an increased anion gap metabolic acidosis. If you try to put it into the, uh, into the Davenport diagram, you will find that the patient lies somewhere here. 
So remember, the respiratory system is compensating almost immediately. So it's very rare for you to see a person with diabetic acidosis with um, almost normal PCO2 levels. Yes, what's that? You can look at the chloride values, but I think it's better if you do the actual anion gap calculations. Yeah, it is. The normal anion gap um, is also called as hyperchloremic acidosis, but to confirm, I think you would like to do the anion gap. Okay, so it's it's all all like a second confirmation. So meta, um, so what did we say? Okay, now remember when. A patient with diabetic acidosis, ketoacidosis, very rarely you find normal PCO2 levels. That's because the respiratory system is responding so very quickly. So if we give you three values, and if the PCO2 is normal, never pick that, okay? Never, never pick that, because it's very, very rare, almost never seen in clinical practice. Now, metabolic acidosis could be, if you think about it conceptually, it could be due to increased production of non-volatile acids and the bicarbonate is lost by buffering and a typical example is diabetic ketoacidosis or it can be due to increased loss of bicarbonate. Now when there is increased production of non-volatile acids what happens is this is also called as increased anion gap acidosis whenever there is too much production of non-volatile acids. Whereas when there is increased loss of bicarbonate it can be renal loss or intestinal loss what happens is there is normal anion gap. At the same time, you find an increase in the chloride levels. So that is how, that is one method to classify metabolic acidosis, very commonly used in clinical practice as normal anion gap acidosis versus increased anion gap acidosis. And we are going to talk about the different conditions that, that cause either of them. And we've talked about hyperventilation, which will result in the fall in the PCO2. And and that is called as the Kussmaul breathing. Now remember, in this patient, the kidney is normal. So after three to five days, the kidney can also compensate by secreting more protons in the urine. There is increased phosphate or acid phosphate and ammonium excretion in the urine. Yeah? Remember, the kidney can also respond or can also help, can also compensate in metabolic disturbances if it is normal. So in, in disorders where the kidney is primarily affected and that is responsible for the change in the acid base or for the disturbance in the acid base balance, then the kidney cannot compensate. And we'd say it is high in anion gap acidosis and that's because too much of the ketone bodies, ketone bodies are negatively charged and these contribute to what's called as the unmeasured anions in the, when you measure it in the clinical lab. So basically what happens in metabolic acidosis, the primary change is a fall in the bicarbonate because it may be lost by buffering or it can be, uh, or it, there is increased loss, it can be intestinal or from the kidney. Now, so that is the primary change which will result in a fall in the pH and who will help is, the first system to help is the respiratory system where there is increased rate of respiration, more washout of carbon dioxide. Remember, the kidney can also compensate, but it has to be normal. If it is normal, the kidney can compensate. If not, it cannot. So you can 
conceptually classify the causes of metabolic acidosis based on increased production of non-volatile acids, also called as high anion gap metabolic acidosis, where there is an increase in the unmeasured anions, compared to normal anion gap acidosis, where basically there is more loss of bicarbonate, more loss of bicarbonate. So let's try to see whether we can identify the difference. Diabetic ketoacidosis, there's too much production of ketone bodies. The ketone bodies are the negatively charged ions, which are increasing the anion gap. Lactic acidosis, too much of lactate. Again, lactate is a negatively charged uh, compound, so it contributes to the unmeasured anions. In other words, increasing the anion gap. The next disturbance is chronic renal failure, where so basically there's a problem with the kidney there is less excretion of sulfate and phosphate because sulfate and phosphate is main the job of the kidney is to make sure that these levels are kept low by excreting these acids from the from the system now in chronic renal failure there what is the compensatory mechanism the compensatory mechanism in chronic, chronic renal failure is only by the respiratory system the kidney cannot help here because the kidney is in big trouble. The kidney can't help or can't compensate in a patient with chronic renal failure. The only compensation is by the lungs. Okay? So you understand the meaning of the kidney can compensate only if it is normal. Whereas if there is a problem with the kidneys, it can't help. It can't further help. Let's compare it to normal anion gap acidosis, also called as hyperchloremic acidosis. One example is diarrhea where there is increased loss of bicarbonate from the intestinal, uh, there's increased intestinal secretion loss, and, and these intestinal secretions have a lot of bicarbonate. The other examples are renal tubular acidosis, the different kinds, but the basic mechanism in all of the renal tubular acidosis is similar. That is, they have a defect in the carbonic anhydrase system, and as a result, they're not able to secrete protons into the urine, in other words, you're not able to reabsorb, completely reabsorb bicarbonate as well as secrete protons into the urine. So the urinary pH cannot acidify. So the urinary pH, there's a problem with acidification of the urine and that is they continuously lose bicarbonate. There are different kinds of acidosis, renal tubular acidosis, but we won't pay too much attention, at least not now. You, you will learn more about it in, in pathology. Acetazolamide treatment, because it inhibits the renal carbonic anhydrase, will also cause a similar effect, resulting in metabolic acidosis. Yeah? Again, in the last two here, renal tub so in chronic renal failure, renal tubular acidosis and acetazolamide treatment, in all of them, remember, the only compensation that can happen is by the lungs, because in all of these, the kidney is not effective. The kidney can't help. So in all these three disorders, there is no compensation by the kidneys. So the primary compensation or the only compensation will be by the lungs, by hyperventilation. Now to illustrate the example of normal anion gap acidosis, a three-year-old child with severe diarrhea, you note that pH is low, the bicarbonate is low, and that's because bicarbonate is being lost in the intestinal secretions. And if you calculate the anion gap, you find that it is within normal limits. What is also evident is that the chloride levels is high. So this is also called as normal anion gap acidosis or hyper 
chloremic acidosis, metabolic acidosis. Okay. Metabolic alkalosis. A typical example of metabolic acidosis, uh, sorry, alkalosis is vomiting. Now remember, the carbonic anhydrase system that you studied is present in a wide variety of tissues. It's also present in the parietal cells of the stomach which secrete HCL or which secrete protons. So the carbonic anhydrase system is also present in the um, gastric parietal cells. What happens with the patient with very severe vomiting is protons are being lost. In other words, you're losing acid from the body. When you lose acid from the body, what happens is the, the pH became, becomes rel relatively alkaline. In other words, there is alkalosis. So vomiting, where there is loss of acid or loss of protons, is a classical example of metabolic alkalosis. So pH is elevated. In other words, that is alkalosis and the bicarbonate is low. If this was respiratory alkalosis, the PCO2 would be, would be low. So this is not respiratory alkalosis because the pH is elevated and the PCO2 is also increased. Yeah? So when they move in opposite directions, that is a respiratory disturbance. Whereas here, pH is increased and bicarbonate is also increased and that is your primary change. Now the alkalosis is going to inhibit the respiratory center and there is a decrease in the rate of ventilation. There is a decrease in the rate of respiration and with time what happens is carbon dioxide will accumulate. In other words, there is an increase in the PCO2. So there is an increase in the PCO2 and the, what happens with time is the pH will try to come back towards normal because of the respiratory system. And, and remember, the respiratory compensation is always immediate. It's within minutes. So when you try to plot it on the Davenport diagram, so that is the place where you find metabolic alkalosis, there is an increase in bicarbonate, which results in an increase in the pH, and invariably the PCO2 is increased. Now, metabolic alkalosis, the kidneys can also compensate. The kidneys can also compensate. But if they have to compensate, remember, the blood volume or the fluid volume has to be within normal limits. If the fluid volume is depleted, there is too much of depletion of fluids, then there is something. So what, what the, one, of the jobs of the, one of the first jobs of the kidney is to maintain the fluid balance. So when fluid balance isn't maintained, what could result is in this patient, if there is depletion of volume or depletion of fluid volume, there could be, so the body is trying to save sodium and it does that at the expense of acid-base homeostasis. In other words, you could find a patient with acidic urine, we call that paradoxic aciduria. Yeah? And that's because the, one of the first jobs of the kidney is to maintain the fluid balance and if there is not enough fluid volume, then that will be the, the kidney will try to conserve sodium and acid-base balance will fall next in its priority list. Yeah? So you may find paradoxic aciduria in patients with metabolic alkalosis. So what happens in metabolic alkalosis is a primary increase in bicarbonate. Now this will increase the pH and will inhibit the respiratory center will result in an increase in the 
PCO2. So compensation is by the lungs. The kidneys can compensate only if the fluid volume is within normal limits. And the, the typical com compensation by the kidney will be to lose bicarbonate in the urine. Okay. Examples of metabolic alkalosis. Typical examples are pyloric stenosis, which can be found in two situations. One is when in an infantile, um, typically it's a newborn condition, the child comes with projectile vomiting, or it could be due to an ulcer in the duodenum or the pylorus, and, and as, a result, result, uh, as a result cause pyloric obstruction. So basically loss of acidic contents of the stomach results in increase in the serum bicarbonate. The second condition which can be seen especially if you do nasogastric suction which is where you're trying to remove using a tube you're trying to remove the stomach contents if you try to do it too much too much removal of the stomach contents you're trying to remove acid from the body and this could also result in metabolic alkalosis so continuous nasogastric suction over long periods of time okay over a few days could result in metabolic alkalosis the, fine, the last one is, is not very commonly seen, but you can anticipate that if there is too much consumption of antacids, but that's not very common. Okay. So, when, so this is, I think you, you must be familiar with this now. So look at the pH. Now, if the PCO2 and is, is in, in the opposite direction, then it's respiratory. In the same direction, it is metabolic. So I think... I think you should be familiar with this now. So try to answer these questions. Given the numbers, are you able to solve the problem? Okay, you need more time. Now try to make your own values and, and try to quiz your friends and yourself, okay? That, that helps a lot when you try to do acid-base disorders. So when you're given the lab data, you want more time? No, okay. When you're given the lab data, pH is 7.25, so what do you think about the pH? Acidosis. Is it respiratory or metabolic? Why not respiratory? If it was respiratory, the PCO2 would be high. Yeah? So here the PCO2 is low and the bicarbonate is also low. So which is the primary change now? That is your bicarbonate. So there is loss of bicarbonate. 
In other words, the acidosis is because of a fall in the bicarbonate, which is nothing but metabolic acidosis. Metabolic acidosis. Why is the PCO2 low? That is the compensation by the, by the respiratory system, hyperventilation, more washout of carbon dioxide. Okay? Now, I've also given you one more data because there are two conditions, one or three. It could be the one or three. Which one is it? One. Why is it one? One is the chloride is normal, so that as you said, and if you try to calculate this anion gap, the anion gap is increased. Okay? Yeah. So that is your answer. Why not metabolic alkalosis? Alkalosis is out of the question because pH is is low, yeah? So it's, that's out of the question. Chronic respiratory acidosis will have high PCO2. And what will you comment on the bicarbonate? High PCO2 and high bicarbonate, okay? High PCO2, high bicarbonate is chronic respiratory acidosis with a low pH. Acute respiratory alkalosis, so that is out because pH is 7.25, okay? So pH is acidotic. If it was acute respiratory alkalosis, pH would be high, PCO2 would be low, and bicarbonate would be low. In the early stage, it would be somewhat low, but in the later, in the chronic stage, it would be very low. Okay? Mixed acidosis. Mixed acidosis. So the pH would be acidotic, pH would be low. How will these numbers look like? PCO2 is high and bicarbonate is low. That is mixed acidosis. PCO2 high and bicarbonate low. So there is problem with more than one system. Good? Okay? So what is the compensation in this patient? So hyperventilation is one compensation. Any other compensation can you think of? After three to five days, I'm <laughs> renal system can compensate if the kidney is normal. And how will it compensate? It will secrete protons in the urine. The urine pH will fall. The urine becomes acidic. Acid phosphate and ammonium excretion in the urine will increase. Yeah? All happy with that? Yes? So anytime you think about compensation, please try to explain it over and over again. Otherwise, it could be a little confusing. Okay? Okay, next question.
Okay, two more seconds. So what is the acid-based disturbance? pH is low, so it is acidosis. If it, were, if it is respiratory acidosis, the BCO2 would be high. So here it is high, it's elevated. So it is respiratory acidosis. Is it in compensation or not? Somewhat in compensation, yeah? So there, it has been a few days after the incidence of the respiratory infection or the respiratory acidosis. Now, what is the compensatory mechanism? Now, in this patient, the only compensation can be done by the, and by the kidneys. The lungs cannot compensate. Yeah? Yes. Fully after, yes. Two, three, whatever, yeah. A few days later, yeah. We are happy with two or three. It, it starts, but it's not as much to cause the, the, the fall or the increase in the bicarbonate. It depends on, and look at the case report. If it is one day and one day is, there is some, but not enough. And the pH will be completely, you know, the pH will be very low, will be on either side. Okay? Yes. Yes, depends on the extent of compensation. And depends on the number of days after the infection. Yeah? Number of days is important. Yeah. So as it becomes more compensated, what happens is the pH will try to come back closer towards normal. But you will find values like this too, okay? You will find values like this too, okay? So what is your answer? Yeah. Okay. The urine becomes acidic. There is no bicarbonate loss. In other words, there is secretion of, uh, there is reabsorption, complete reabsorption of bicarbonate too much proton secretion and urinary ammonium excretion will increase. Carbonic anhydrase will be activated. So the, I think this is your last question. I'm glad you asked that. So the compensation will begin but it isn't fully, fully effective till a few days. Okay. Now tomorrow your small groups will be only for 50 minutes, so 50 minutes each, and I think there is an announcement, so A will come at 8 a.m. And, and so on. So what is, what is the disorder that you... So what, pH is low, so acidosis, PCO2 is elevated, so this is respiratory acidosis. Yeah, and that will be acute respiratory distress syndrome. Okay, so thank you and have a nice evening and enjoy your small group tomorrow. Good luck with your exams. Yeah, you're so excited. Yeah. <laughs>